Amen. Thank you, ladies. Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, would you grab it, please? Uh, Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Uh, We'll be there in just a moment, but just to catch you up, if you're joining us maybe for the first time and maybe in a while, uh, or maybe you're passing through or anything like that, we are in the middle of a series called Church Matters. And so we have some housekeeping things to cover. Uh, This is week three. And what we've done is, is we looked at the church, and we did a survey of the church, um, 160 questions, 53 people filled this survey out, and it was an evaluation of ourselves, of yourselves, and of myself, and our ministries, our church, and things like that. And so uh, what we chose to do as a church is to basically look in the mirror, how are we doing, do we do well, what can we do better, and so we've covered different things. We've covered prayer, we've covered fellowship, and today I'm going to talk about discipleship. Um, so if you'll bear with me, a couple of housekeeping things. We'll get to the scriptures in just a minute. But on the screen, we're going to talk about what we learned about ourselves. Now remember, 53 people filled this thing out. This is an evaluation of who we are, what we've done well, and what we haven't done well. Uh, but let me go through a couple of things with you when it comes to the area or the issue of discipleship in the church. Right off the bat, the first question, I pulled the data, this is some of the stuff, and by the way, all this is available outside the foyer, if you want the entire survey, if you want to do some good reading over the holidays at the, at the dinner table, just comb through that, it is all available for you outside of Tony's office, so grab that. First question that we looked at, um, it, it was an evaluation of the person doing it and said that the majority said that they are involved in regular Bible study, but catch this, 13% said they were under unsure, undecided, and 27% said they were not involved. So 40% of those who filled out the survey says, I feel like a game show host, survey says, I'm going to say that five five times, survey says, just kidding, Uh, the survey showed that they themselves were not involved in any sort of Bible study, discipleship, or anything like that uh, about themselves. Uh, The next one, majority feels that they're growing as as a Christian in our church, which I think is great. Uh, another one said the majority of the church, this is about the church, not about themselves, the majority is not attending regular Bible studies. Now hear this, this is one of those things we've got to look at, 41% said most are not, and 35% said they were undecided. So a majority of those who filled it out said, hey, we believe in our church, the majority of people who are part of our fellowship, they're not in Bible studies, they're not in small groups, they're not in Sunday school, they're not doing anything other than coming in here, listening to a message, listening, learning, leaving, but no intimate community uh, of breaking down the scriptures together with small groups. Uh, the majority says, uh, excuse me, let me back up, most said that new believers are quickly discipled in the church. I thought this was interesting, 52% were undecided, probably the largest undecided of all of our questions was this one which I just want to reassure this, anybody who is a, a, a new member or anything like that, they are quickly discipled. I meet with everybody who joins the church, anybody who comes forward to join the church or asked about membership of the church, I meet with them individually. But it also has got me to be praying about offering a class for those who may be interested in joining a church, what it means to be a member of a church or things like that. So maybe some things coming in the future. Uh, majority says our kids have great opportunities to grow in the church. That was, that was uh, a really, really positive one. Majority agreed that our Sunday school programs are strong in Bible study. I thought that was great. Uh, many feel that sometimes we lose more people than we gain in the church. 34% weren't sure. 13 of the 53 people felt that we have lost members in the last couple of months. Uh, most believe that members are committed to the church. 34% were undecided. And this was, this was kind of a difficult one, about 40% of the, of the said that the commitment level of our members is low, okay? Um, and so that's something we could look about as far as the commitment of, of those in the body. Majority feel that our church knows sound doctrine of what we believe, which I thought was really positive. 
Most agree that new members are good, given good opportunities when they joined. I talked about this just a second ago. Uh, 40% weren't sure, but just to reassure, reassure everybody, we always talk with people who join the church, members of the church, what Scripture teaches of that, and we talk about that. Uh, there was a little bit of a split on uh, if the church does a good job discipling uh, members. Interesting that 34% was undecided. Uh, there was a split on if the church provides good training on how to develop a prayer life. Now, some of these questions are relevant. Some of them we, uh, we haven't offered like a prayer training or things like that, but some said that uh, our church could provide good training. Uh, there was a split on if the church provides many opportunities on how to share their faith. So maybe there's something we could learn from this. Um, I'll, I'll put this out there. Dev's going to preach next week, uh, so I hope you come back, and he's going to talk about evangelism. So there might be something we as a church can do on how to equip you better to share your faith, and hopefully we're going to be doing that. Uh, let's see, and then there's a split off the church provides, oh, already already I'm sorry. Most said that they, they were discipled or mentored by somebody else, that somebody sat down with them. I don't know how you would answer this, but maybe you didn't do the survey, how you would answer this, but somebody along their spiritual journey sat down with them and discipled them on what it means to follow Jesus. Um, the majority felt that they were equipped to disciple a new believer, so if they had to, they could. Uh, the majority felt that the church does a good job teaching members how to give financially to the church. 32 were undecided and 20% disagreed, thought that maybe we could do better on teaching people how to tithe, how to give financially, things like that. Now, what do we do with all this information? I'm not here to bore you with facts and figures, but the truth of the, 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 of the day is discipleship. What do we, or you, us as a body, what are we doing when it comes to discipleship or making disciples? You'll flip through all of your scriptures before we read in just a minute, and you're not going to find the word discipleship. You're not going to find it in the Bible anywhere. You will find making disciples from the root word, I won't bore you with all the context, but a learning believer that is growing in knowledge and wisdom, that we're all called to do that. And what we're going to look at today, if you would get your scriptures, Matthew chapter 28, we'll stand together, if you will, we'll read this, the great commission where Jesus is going to talk to his disciples and command them to go and make disciples. We're going to talk about the implications for us as individuals. So if you'll read this along with me, Matthew chapter 28. I think it'll be on the, the, the screen in just a second. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 16, and we'll go through 20. Let's read this together. Jesus speaking says this, Then the, ele excuse me, th then the eleven uh, the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of this age. Let's pray together. And if you would, church, just as a moment, as we turn from information to uh, the message today, I'm just going to give you a moment as we do every week. Um, in your own heart, in your own way, ask the Lord to, to, to give you focus. Um, ask Him to do something great. Maybe your mind, maybe your heart is kind of scattered. Maybe you're thinking about travel plans. Maybe you're thinking about Thanksgiving. Maybe you're thinking about other things. Um, but in your own heart, if you choose, in your own heart, would you ask Him to bring clarity, to, to bring conviction today, that He would speak to us and that your heart in my heart, that we would be receptive to what he has for us today. Church, I'm going to ask a favor. I'm going to ask if you would, would you pray for me? 
that I, that I would not speak just ideas or things that I think are relevant, but that we would preach, that I would preach according to the word today. Father, it's good to be here. Um, God, I'm thankful for this opportunity as we come to this place and we gather um, corporately as a body. Uh, God, I pray that I, and I pray that we would never take it for granted, th- of the privilege that we have to gather in this place and open up our Bibles, to sing songs to you, to sing songs about you, to hear from you, to be changed by you, and to do something um, different today. So we ask that you meet us in this place, that your spirit would be thick, and for the hearts in this room that are receptive, would you change us, would you shape us, would you mold us, and allow us to leave different than we were when we got here. We ask it in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you want to, you can stand there for just a minute, or stay there in, in Matthew chapter 28 in the scriptures. Um, I, I want to share a story with you. There's, a, there's an author named Matthew, uh, uh, Francis Chan, excuse me. Uh, he shared a story a long time ago, and he was talking about him talking to his daughter about going and cleaning her room. And I've shared this a long time ago. I just think it's relevant, and it'll be relevant next week as well. But he gave this story, and he talked about telling his daughter that I need you to go clean your room. And then she doesn't come back two hours later and say, Dad, I, I, I memorized what you said about cleaning my room. And, he's, and then she come back again. I can even repeat what you told me in the original language that you told me that. And he asked the question, rhetorically speaking, just kind of being facetious, he says, but have you cleaned your room? And she said, well, no, but what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to gather, some friends are going to come over tonight, and we're going to have a little small, we're going to talk about what it would look like if I actually did clean my room. And he was being facetious and talking about this, but here's, the, here's the, the joke on us, if you will, when it comes to discipleship, evangelism, things like that, it is very easy to gather facts and figures and come and study what it means to make disciples and live our lives and never do it. And I think that's the part where, where it kind of pricks my heart a little bit about these things that God is showing us beyond the survey results about us as followers, not as just a pastor, but as a follower of Christ, that the command on your life is to make disciples. And I love this because it's not just to talk about it, not just to, to have a understanding about it, to be trained on it, but it is actually to do it. And I want to frame out, if you look at your scriptures in Matthew chapter 28, a short text today, Basically, right before Christ ascended, he has been crucified, he has risen from the dead, he has uh, appeared to, 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 to others, and what happened at the empty tomb when Jesus appeared and the two Marys saw him, and he told the ladies, he said, go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee, because I, I need to talk with them. That's my paraphrase. And we pick up in the scriptures, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing, because in verse 16, I want you to see this. Look at your Bibles, if you would, please. Then the 11, there's not 12 anymore, Judas is gone now. Then the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Let's stop there for just a minute. Right off the bat, these guys obeyed and did what was told. They went to Galilee. Now, why Galilee? Matthew 28, 10 tells us that the two Marys, as I told you, if you can look back in your Bibles, they said, hey, go meet Jesus in Galilee. So they did exactly what they were told. They went there and they waited for Jesus to show up. Now, Jews in that day, they also believed, and this is what a lot of scholars talk about, why not where they were at? Why not do it outside the tomb? Why not do it in Jerusalem? Why not do it here? Why Galilee? And a lot of scholars vary on this, but the truth is, is that Jews in that day, they believed when somebody died that the soul kind of hovered. I've talked about this before. 
And so what, it's, it's interesting that Jesus' implication here is he wanted no disputes on his resurrection. He doesn't want anybody in the Jewish faith thinking, he's still here, the soul still... No, he wanted another place. So when he appeared to these disciples, there was no questioning. It was a call to faith for these disciples have to willingly go and obey to another place and wait for Jesus to come. They'd have to believe catch this, they would have to separate themselves from a highly emotional environment of Jerusalem. It was a remote location, all of the Passover pilgrims heading home, it was a remote place that would offer no interruption. Jesus was masterful, he knew what he was doing, and these 11 showed up in Galilee, it was their home, and it was a beautiful place. But look what happens in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Semicolon, <laughs> but some doubted. Their initial response here of these, these men, these 11 that followed Jesus, saw him brutally crucified and resurrected, and he's right before them as they worship. Their response to the risen Jesus was worship, but here's the thing some doubted. I talked to Deb about it this morning, I talked to my wife about it this morning, and I was just throwing this out there to you. I want you to, maybe something that you can talk about later. Why? It wasn't like they didn't see him. This is the 11. These are the guys, these are the guys of guys that followed. They gave up everything. They give up their careers. They give up their, they followed him for everything. And here they are with the risen Jesus after meeting where they were supposed to, and some still are doubting. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't fully know. I know what the scholars believe, I know what the commentary, I know what I kind of feel, but I don't know the extent of it. And I was asking about why, we're just talking about this this morning, I was like, man, this just, I don't say, think it bothers me, but it kind of gives me some pause about these 11 that are sitting there and they're, and they're struggling. But it also gives me some comfort to know that if the 11 that follow Christ can still have some doubts, you know what, I bet you do and I do too. Anybody in this room have times in your life where things happen and you're doubting and wondering where Jesus is at and if he's coming through? I do. Some may be bound in fear, maybe some with uncertainty, maybe some with circumstances, but they doubt it. But here is the part that I just love. But look at verse 18. This is the beautiful picture of the gospel. It's almost missed. And you're probably thinking in just a minute, well, David, get to verse 9. Get to the good stuff. This is the good stuff. It's all good stuff. But look at verse 18, a picture of the gospel that you almost are going to miss. Look at verse 18. Some doubted, but look, Jesus came to them. Now, and, and before he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, did you see that? Jesus came to them. These are the 11 that were rolling with Jesus all through the countryside. And now they doubt, and they're in front of him. And what does Jesus do? Does he shame them for their doubts? Does he desert them? Does he go what I would probably do and say, guys, what is wrong with you? I told Deb this morning that if that's me and I went through all that and I've been crucified and I'm standing before these guys that have followed me, I'm like, what, what's your problem? When are you going to figure it out? What else is it going to take? I'm right in front of all of this happened. Get it together. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus, right? <laughs> what does he do to them? Please hear this. But we hadn't got to the, 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 oh, this is the meat of it. What does he do? He comes to them. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't desert them. He comes to them to reassure them of who he is. I don't need a show of hands, but is there anybody in this room that has some doubts, maybe some anxieties, maybe some 
stuff in your life. Maybe you're wrestling with God on things. If he's going to pull through, if he's going to really be there. And I just can't help but, but look at this and think, then Jesus came to them. And he says, all authority. It's written in red in your Bibles if you've got one of those Bibles. All authority, to Deb's part of the children's sermon, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's no question if it's him. Did you know their first reaction when they saw him? What did they do? Is that you? No. What did they do? Some worshiped, some doubted. He didn't have to say, yo, hey, guys. I think, well, Jesus wouldn't say, yo, he'd say brethren or something like that. It's something, yo, hey, it's, it's me. No, they, they recognized him. But something in their inner being, some doubted, some believed. But some were bound by circumstances or maybe bound by whatever. I love this because there is nothing outside the realm, the authority, the power of Jesus Christ. I love how Colossians says this. Paul writes, and this is important because we need to spend time here, because Paul says this, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Catch this, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Rhetorically speaking, is there anything that is outside the realm of Jesus' authority? The answer is no. Every time I preach that verse in, in Colossians, when I say in him all things hold together, I, I always do this every time. It's the thing. But sometimes in our doubts, hear this, in our doubts, things don't feel held together. Are you with me? There are some of you in this room, though we're light, I know there's some that are gone, there are some of you in this room that you are having doubts and you are not feeling very held together. There is something in your life that is causing you to doubt and you're feeling afraid. You're feeling kind of like a thread that's being pulled. And even, look right at me this morning, even when I tell you the scriptures from Jesus that all authority, nothing is outside of his realm of authority, there are some that feel a little tension in that. You know why? Because you don't know if you believe it or not. If you're honest. I, mean, I think that's the honest part of me. In my life, when I'm struggling in my doubts, you know why? Because I'm, I'm questioning. There's no shame in that. Jesus Talks to these guys some, we don't know if it was 50-50 or 60-40, we don't know if it's just like a couple of the big, you know, the faithful guys or whatever. There are things that happen in your life and mine that will cause us to fright, and you and I have to understand and believe or not believe. Does he have all authority? And you may be thinking, David, why are you spending so much time on verse 18? Get to 19, that's the meat, that's the good stuff. Hear me on this. It's going to go quickly after this. You can't understand 19 and 20 if you don't get verse 18. You can't obey 19 and 20 if you don't get verse 18. Hear my heart on this. We will become quickly those who are like the girl telling her dad, we're not doing it, but we're going to talk about it. We have to get the authority and the gospel that Jesus comes, not only to come for salvation, but he comes to these guys he reminds them in their doubts and in that moment, I got you. It's not about you, David. It's not about you, disciples. It's about me. I have authority. You don't have to have it figured out because I do. And before he ascended, he gave 
them and us a commission. It is an instruction, command, a duty, an order. It is a directive. 19, let's finish 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the ends of this very age. You might find it interesting that the command is make disciples. Sometimes pastors like me, we mess up and we make mistakes. And we'll tell you that the implicit commands are to go, baptize, and teach. That's not it. The command is to make disciples. The methods are to go, teach, baptize, all these kind of things. That's great. But the command is to make disciples. But what does that even mean? What is discipleship? What does it even mean to make disciples? I mean, the most basic thing I could tell you, it's to pour into others to help them grow, learn, and see, savor, become more like Christ in this journey of life. Some of you do it every day, you don't even know it. You don't, have, you don't call it that. As, as we're maybe pouring into somebody else's life, you're meeting, you're teaching, you're teaching a class, maybe you have a Bible study, maybe you're investing into a grandchild or a, ch- a, a child. That's discipleship. It's Making a disciple. John Piper says every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Jesus, living that. That is making a disciple, and every Christian should be helping other believers grow to more and more maturity. That is making a discipleship. It's coming to faith, but it's also the sanctification of growing as a disciple. We need each other. We need each other to pour into one another, to grow And how does that look like? It looks different. It could be family with parents primarily. We're to be the primary disciples of our kids. Relationships and people that do life together. They grow and they mature. They talk about scriptures. Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's Bible studies. Maybe it's modeling for our our other people, our kids, that the church matters, what worship is, what Bible study is, what God's teaching us. Maybe it's our time. And I could bore you with a lot of scriptures from Titus 2, talk about women training younger women. 2 Timothy 2, where Paul trained Timothy to train up other people. Ephesians 6, 4, well, I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, where it says, fathers, train your children. Well, I'm just going to say it now, I'm not going to wait on that. I'm going to, I'm going to, us father, uh, uh, that, that's, that's our job. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, don't provoke your kids, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Man, that just, that's a, that's a, that's a I keep doing whatever that is. It's a big deal. Us as dads, we don't have outs. It, we don't. And, and so many times in the local church, it gets reduced and it gets passed off to moms because dads don't want to do it. Where men don't want to do it, women will step in and they will lead and they will guide and they will instill the virtues of Christ. And, but there's a lot of men that don't feel equipped to do it. A lot of dads don't, don't want to do it. But the scriptures are clear. Fathers, bring them up. Invest instruct so the question of the day is not are we but who are we and how we're supposed to be that's the implication here not to just to talk about it on Sundays and memorize it this is something we're supposed to do but we should do that verse 20 says we teach in teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely know that I'm with you till the very end of the age. 
I love verse 20 because Jesus is saying, hey, here's what you do. Don't make it harder than it has to be. Keep it simple. Teach people to obey what I've taught you. I love how Paul in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, this is a great discipleship verse. If anybody's looking for a, a Hallmark verse of what this looks like is this. He says, and what you have heard me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. That is a great discipleship model. I had a guy named John Crow that looked like, I don't know, the old country singer Aaron Tippin, big handlebar mustache. I mean, he was, he was, he was kind of, you don't even know who that is, but it's fine. Um, he came to me every time. He was a weird dude. He was just a weird dude. Loved Jesus, loved kids, and that kind of stuff. And then, but he loved it. This is what his, his gift was. He loved to disciple. He would always come up to me and say, hey, can I get some guys, if I talk to their parents and everybody's good with it, and just raise them up and disciple them? I'm like, as a youth pastor, you're like, that's the dream. <laughs> oh, that's great. What are you going to say? No, no, no don't, don't do that. I have an adult that says, I want to pour into these students, but he would tell them and their parents that here's the deal. It's not just for them to get some facts and figures, but to do it, and then they might invest into somebody else. I've done that with some guys in our church, people in our community. Pour into them say, hey, the indictment is on you. The wheel needs to keep rolling. It's not just about learning, but it's about saying, who are you going to pour into? Imagine if 2 Timothy 2.2 was lived out in daily life. Somebody poured into somebody so that they would pour into somebody. Powerful, powerful scripture. And you're probably thinking on that side as I kind of wrap this thing up, as we make disciples, discipleship, we, we learn the stats about Bible studies, sometimes the unwillingness of wanting to do that because it's a difficult thing. Not everybody wants to, to, to get into a vulnerable spot. And you're probably thinking, maybe some of you are doing it, maybe some of you are pouring in, maybe you are doing it, maybe your own children, maybe other people, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a Bible study, maybe it's something you're thinking about. Maybe you're thinking, man, I, I want to do that. Then come talk to me. Let's figure some stuff out. Let's put some feet to this. I want to pour into somebody else. I want to disciple somebody. I want to help somebody learn. What about my own children? I don't know where to start. I'm not going to farm it out to somebody else. I need some help. Come talk to us. Let's figure this thing out. But I was thinking about this as I wrap up. I was thinking about this illustration. I remember when I was a kid, and we go to the swimming pool when I was little. I've done it with my kids, too. And, and, and you're there, and you want to jump off the diving board, and you know the parents in the water, like many of you have done it, and you're going to jump off, and you know you're going to go under because you can't catch them because that's a disaster. You're going to get a right elbow to the face and broken nose. It's just a bad idea. So you know that whether they got floaties or not, they're going to jump, and you got to figure it out. And you tell them, like my dad did, said, you got to jump, but you're going to go under, but just I'm going to get you. Trust me. I promise I'm going to get you. And maybe your kids are like me, like, uh, I mean, for, for real? I never questioned that with my dad. I just kind of figured he would. I just jumped. And I remember those moments of panic because I would get in the water and I would go under. And just like your children, maybe with you, there's that moment of like immense panic until what? You feel the massive hands of your father grab you, or mother, massive hands grab you and pick you back up. Because here's the thing, on a sermon like this, you're probably thinking, make disciples, discipleship, that's great, I need to do a Bible study, I need to get in Sunday school, yes, and yes, this is not the great suggestion, this is the great command, this is something that the commission from Jesus Christ is to do this. Every one of us, I've got to do it as a pastor and as a man, that I've got to stand before God and be like, am I obedient or disobedient in this? Because statistically, and, and, and more on sharing your faith next week, statistically, do you know this church? Most people statistically won't do it. They won't do it. They are just like that child to their dad. We will talk about it. We will study it. I can tell you the original language. We've had Bible studies about what it would look like. if we. I ain't doing it, though. And so I just want to tell you, maybe, maybe you're out there and you're listening thinking, man, I need to, do, I need to pour into my kids. 
I'm not doing a very good job. I'm kind of farming that out. Church is doing a great job, but I just need, I need, we can have conversations about this. Maybe you're thinking about starting a Bible study. Maybe you have a friend that you're thinking, man, let's just meet together and talk about the scriptures. And maybe there's somebody else that you just want to pour into. Maybe you're a dad that just feels convicted today thinking, man, I just, I got to quit farming that out to my wife. I got to pour in. I got to, I got to find something. Come talk to me. I don't have it figured out either, but we can get your resources and figure it out. Maybe, ladies, you want to start a women's Bible study, join a class. Maybe it's students that think, you know what, discipleship, it's not just for adults, it's for everybody. I can tell you stories of, of, of youth that have led in churches more than, the, more than a lot of adults, met with their friends at lunch and had Bible studies and met. I remember a long time ago I had kids that said, hey, if, if we met at the church and we did a Bible study, would you feed us? I was like, uh, yeah. What do you want? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're, uh, you're, this is your idea. You want to do this, and you're just asking for some DiGiorno's. That's all I could ever get them. DiGiorno's, plug for DiGiorno. Um, that's all you want? Yeah, I'll feed you. Let's go. Adults that want to start a Bible study, adults that have an idea for the church. Man, I just, I don't know really what to do, but I just try to figure it out. Let's go. The, the, the truth today is this, and this is my only request. It's hard on this side of a sermon to listen to this and hear this because you're probably thinking, man, I don't know where to start. But here's the thing. It could be any of those things that I mentioned about maybe feeling like you need to be discipled. Maybe you need to meet with somebody else and pour into the life of somebody else to help them grow and mature to, to know Jesus better. The only thing I'm asking you to do is this. Think about me on the Bible board as a child. Is just jump. You're not, if you wait till it's all, it's not going to happen. You're going to be a lot older. I was about to say 40 years down the road. You're going to be a lot older someday. Look back and think, I remember when, it, when somebody talked about that, but I just never did it. If you wait, it will not happen. So whatever it is, just step out in obedience and remember, Jesus, he's got it. We talked about this in the office. We don't have to have it figured out. He's got it. We have to abide in him, connect with him, because apart from him, we can do Nothing. I said diddly squat in my office. We can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't do anything. So here's my, my, my plea to you today is to abide in him, connect with him, and if he's bringing something to the surface, and you're thinking, man, I don't, I've got, maybe you're, maybe you're still in the doubts area. You're like, man, I don't know. I just got all these stuff. Just remember, he's right there. He's meeting you. He met them. He went to them to remind them, I have authority over everything. You don't have to got it. You don't have to get it. I got it. Sorry, I got backwards. You don't have to get it. Thanks, Donnie. You don't have to get it. I got it. I've been on the other side of a sermon like this. And you sit there and you think, maybe you're feeling guilty. Don't feel guilty. Conviction's different. Be drawn to that. Let God work in that. Don't push it off. Step into it. Jump off the dive or Maybe there's a part of you that goes, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Start there. Ask questions. Find somebody. I don't, may not know the answer, but we'll figure it out. But make no mistake about it, the call on the church, the call on the body is to be making disciples and pour into others. It's time to go. There's the last quote on this, and I'm done. Tom Mercer wrote a book called Not My Church, and a lot of it goes to do with a survey. He says this, even God can't steer a parked car. It's not that he can't do whatever he wants, but the truth is, if a vehicle isn't designed to move, it would be silly to build it with a steering wheel. Unless we start moving forward, God has no reason to provide direction. You know what that means? Sometimes you've got to take that step. Sometimes you've got to jump and trust that he's there. He will give direction. The invitation, church, is this, and I'm done. It's time to move forward, whatever that looks like for you. 
So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a second. The praise team is going to come up, and we're going to wrap up the service. But I want you to do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to ask you for hands or anything like that, but I just want you to be still for a moment in whatever God might be speaking to you. Maybe, maybe you're still in the doubts, and you're just not sure about all this, and you're just kind of really wrestling, and you're kind of feeling guilty about that. Would you just know that he met them, and he will meet you? Maybe this morning. And if there's somebody here today that I covered a, a litany of things and areas about how we can pour into others and we can raise others up and we can train and teach and help others grow in Christ, see what it looks like to be a follower, and you're thinking, man, I should be doing that, but I don't know where to start, ask him. Ask people that you trust. Because I know it's a simple Sunday before Thanksgiving, but here's the truth. As we do this survey, we do these things, God help us if we become a church that knows a lot about making disciples, but nobody's making disciples. And I'm not asking more about anybody else. I'm just asking to allow the Lord to speak to you and what that's going to look like for you. And whatever it is, jump. Move forward. And he will provide the direction. Just be still for a moment. You pray. Listen, and whatever he's calling of you, would you just be obedient? You pray, and we'll see. Praise team's going to start singing. I just kind of feel led to give you some space. So just stay seated, heads bowed, eyes closed. You pray, and if in any moment you want to stand and sing, please do. But the praise team's going to sing our final song.